1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Timothy 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you would please open up your word to us. God, would you put a guard over my mouth, Lord? guide and direct me by your spirit, Lord, and that you would use this time to exalt your name. God, open up our hearts. Help us to understand what your word is saying to us as a body today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was talking to someone before the service and they said their family was reading through 1 Timothy and it's kind of hard to find some stuff to hang on because of the focus of what 1 Timothy is all about. And as a matter of fact, I get that. What we're looking at here is that this is an interesting book because it's an instruction book of leading, administering, and pastoring a local church. And it's very timely for us at La Crescent Free Church. Because if you look, we have the job description out there. And it is filled with First Timothy references. Because it makes it pretty clear what an elder should be. And a pastor and an elder are the same word used interchangeably in, in the Word of God. So... This is a great time for us because we're in the middle of that search and here we are in 1 Timothy. Well, what about, where do we get this book? What happened? How did this all come together? What was going on? Well, Paul met Timothy in Lystra, which is a city in Galatia, during his first missionary journey. And he knew Timothy perhaps 20 years at the time that this letter was written. As a companion, Timothy was a helper. He was a messenger for Paul. And he was considered a son in the faith. That's how close they were. And so what Paul did was he put Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. Tim, Timothy was the lead pastor. And what we see here is this is the first of Paul's final three letters. Final three. They're called the pastoral epistles. Because it... The other ones are 2 Timothy, obviously, and Titus. So we're going to go through three of the pastoral epistles in the next this today and the next two weeks. This particular book was written around 62 to 66 A.D. And what it was was this. It was a practical and pastoral letter of advice given from an aging apostle. Paul was probably 60 years old, to this young buck pastor. He was in his 20s or 30s. And that's the, the foundation of this letter. It was written from a pastor's viewpoint to pastors. Okay, That's why it's so difficult when you read through it and you go, wow, this is a lot of instruction. Well, that was the, now you understand the background of this letter. And it kind of opens up this letter because you understand Paul, Pastor Paul, is trying to help young Pastor Timothy 
understand how to uh, run the church, the local church, how to, how to handle things within the church. Yet it wasn't just written for pastors. It wasn't directed to them, but Paul expected these letters to be circulated among the churches. And now while this epistle assumes rather than develops doctrine, it is incredible, incredible how this little book is relevant for today. It is the practical outworking of the gospel is what it is. It's the outworking of the gospel on an individual and corporate level. That's what we see here in this little tiny book. And when we look at this outline, the topics are incredibly current and timely for La Crescent Evangelical Free Church. God's timing is perfect. Take a look. This is the outline. Chapter 1, 1 through 2 is just a basic introduction. And then chapter 1, 3 through 20 is a charge concerning sound doctrine. Chapters 2, verse 1 through 3.13, general instructions concerning the church. Okay, worship service, things like that is what he's talking about there. We find the practice of prayers outlined. We see instructions for women and qualifications for church officers. He lays that out very clearly. Then, in uh, chapter 3.14 through 4.16, advice to Timothy. Paul's purpose in writing, true and false teachers contrasted, and encouraging Timothy not to neglect the gift of God that he had received. And then in chapters 5, verses 1 through 6:19, these are instructions concerning members of the church. He's laying out, how do you handle these groups of people? Here's what you need to do. He's the treatment of all people and, and also concerning widows. How do you handle the widows? Things were going on back then. How do you help them? Concerning elders, how to approach elders, how to look at elders. Concerning teachers motivated by greed. Concerning the man of God himself. And then finally concerning the rich. And then in chapter 26, verse 20 through 21, a concluding charge to Timothy. So there's the outline. You can see the pattern here that Paul is laying out. He's saying, now here's some practical things with regards to the church service. Here's how you handle certain situations within the church. And Timothy, I want to encourage you, remember these things. So you can see how this is all broken down. And what we need to understand is is the fact that Jesus is head of his body, the church. Jesus is in charge. Not Paul, not Timothy, not the elders, not Pastor Dan. Jesus is the head of his body, the church. And, And another thing, too, is to understand that the church is more than a mere human organization. I think we look at it like that. It's more than a mere human organization. It is an organism. Because the term that is used in the Word of God to describe a church is the body of Christ. We need to understand that. We are a body. We are not an organization. We are a body of Christ. And that's how God would have us look at it. And and what we find in Scripture is that Jesus is the head Yet God intends that there be men set apart for spiritual care and oversight 
of his body, of his family. That's the pattern we see in Scripture over and over again. Now, I want to say this. Please hear me. All Christians are equal before God as his children and as heirs. I am no different than you. We're all equal. You say, but you're Pastor Dan. It doesn't matter. We're all equal. I'm not greater in God's eyes. I'm not lesser. But God has called some to serve his people as leaders of his body. He just calls us. Sometimes we fight it. But when God calls, he calls. Take a look at God's word. 1 Timothy 1, 12 and then 2, 7. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. You see, that's what God does. That's what God does. He's the one who appoints. He's the one who calls and exalts and says this person will be, we, we, we see it in the Old Testament, this person will be king. This person will be what? So God is the one who calls. And then we see here in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 7, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. God's the one who calls. Not men, God. And then Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's a heavy office to be called as an elder or pastor because we have to give an account. We're responsible. But God is the one who enables, who empowers. He's the one who calls. He's the one who enables. And yet we have to give an account. That's what the Word of God says, that we're called to do this. And what the congregation does, what a congregation does, what a congregation did 20 years ago here, is that it recognizes the call of God on a man. And we affirm what God is doing, how God has called that person. And that's what happened, as I said, 20 years ago here. This congregation recognizes, affirms, and submits to the leaders that God calls. That's how God does it. It's not that we decide what we're going to do. It's that God equips people and then he calls them. And the congregation affirms that calling in their lives. That's what we do. That's what God does, how he has set up his church. Now what we find in Scripture is that, they're, that these leaders fall into two categories. Two categories. There's the elders and there's the deacons. That's what we find in Scripture. They are two different yet complementary offices. Now hear this. With the same moral qualifications. When you look at the qualifications for an elder and the qualifications for a deacon, they're the same moral They've got to be this, they've got to be that. They line right up. But they have different practical responsibilities. And we see this in Scripture. Take a look. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. You have the elders, in that sense, saying, you know what, we shouldn't be doing some of these things. We need to stick to what we really are called to do. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They're saying, we have a responsibility, and this is getting diluted, so we, we need to have something change here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And there you see the separation. There's the elders who are focused on prayer and ministry of the Word, and the deacons who are taking care of the tables, taking care of the practical things. And when you look in First Timothy, in the very same chapter, and I want to encourage you to go and read this, chapter 3, starting in verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be, and then they lay out all the qualifications for an overseer or an elder. And then in verse 8 it says, Deacons likewise must be. And take a look at the differences, or, or the similarities, I should say, between the qualifications between an elder and a deacon. And it's laid out right there. You'll see that those moral qualifications are the same. It's, it's it very... You see God laying out things in His Word, saying this is the way it is to be. This is how I want my body to be taken care of. And God's will... For a local church is that a group of elders are the primary spiritual leaders. That's all over God's Word. But we find something in Scripture that sometimes I think we can get confused about. And that's this. The word elder, overseer, and pastors is used interchangeably. It's basically the same office. And you can even see in some sections of Scripture, it starts with overseer, and it says elder, or vice versa. And it's talking about the exact same position. Take a look. This is God's Word. Titus chapter 1, 5 through 7. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, now he's starting to lay out some of those qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer. So see, he's still talking about the same office, but he started with elders, and now he's using the term overseers. As a matter of fact, in this church, we call that group of people elders. I think at Bethany they're called overseers. At least they used to be. So it's the same office, different terminology. As God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So he's laying out the qualifications of an elder or an overseer. In Acts chapter 20, verse 15, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So he's speaking to the elder group. That's what he's speaking to. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So who's the one who makes the elder, or calls the elder to be an elder. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God. This is a work of God. Every church, regardless of, of who they have for elders or overseers, God places people there. That's what we see in the Word of God. It's consistent. To care for the church of God, which He obtained by His own blood. Jesus is the one who appoints elders to His body, to His church. They're not perfect people. I mean, we have said before, if you take all four elders, you put us together, you got one. Because we're weak. But in our weakness, God is exalted. And it says here that He's the one who appoints. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, He gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. The King James Version uses pastors, and when you look at it, it can be either or. 
So shepherds, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? Why? What is the reason why God gave all these different types of people to the church? It says right there, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we build up the body of Christ. We equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's what it says. To equip you, to empower you, to enable you. And then in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, So I exhort the elders, and then it fills in some stuff, you can read that, shepherd the flock. So now you have this tied together. The elders are to do what? To shepherd the flock. That's what they're called to do. To shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion. But do it willingly. So what we see here is that these terms are used interchangeably in the Word of God. Elder, overseer, and we would say the office of pastor. That's why what I am officially is an elder. I'm an elder in this church. All pastors are elders in this church because it's the same office. That's why... Now, I'm a paid elder, if you want to use that term. And we have people who are vocational and work other jobs, but they're still elders, and they're not. there's not a hierarchy in this church where, oh, you've got the paid elders and then uh, the guys that are volunteering and working full-time jobs. There's, uh, Brian and I don't have more authority than the other elders. Because God's called us all together. He's the one who is called. Not us. And the function of elders is to feed and lead the flock. To teach and govern. To guide and give direction. That's the responsibility of a shepherd, isn't it? I mean, when you look at it, we've got to take it. We've got to look at it in perspective of God's word. What did the shepherd do for the sheep? That's the responsibility of the elders to the body of Christ. And that's the parallel that God's Word gives us. Do you see how important that role is? It's so important. Uh, And because of that, it's critical that those who are elders are spiritually mature and have the character of highest quality. You have to, because the responsibility is huge. Take a look at God's Word in First Timothy, and you can see all the breakdowns of what God calls an elder to be. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. Okay? Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. There's character. Got to be above reproach. The husband of one wife, he must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. There's the the one ability qualification. He's got to be able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. See, these are the qualifications that when we're considering somebody to be an elder... This is where we go. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well. 
Now it's looking at his home life. So he's talking about his personal character. He's talking about his abilities. And he's talking about his home life. All these are under the microscope of someone who desires to be an elder. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If you can't handle your own family and lead your own family, how are you going to lead God's family? That's what he's saying. He must not be a recent convert. You've got to be spiritually mature. You can't have some guy that got saved a year and a half ago, all of a sudden they're being elders. And that's what I struggle with sometimes with some of these, the, the church plants. They come into a town and then somebody's a, a recent convert and they move them right up into authority. And you go, you can't do that. That's unscriptural. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. You've got to have a good reputation. So in order to be an elder, what you have to do is you, your life is under a microscope. And you have to meet these requirements that include character, that include a certain ability, that include your home life, that include spiritual maturity, and also you have to have a good reputation in the world among lost. Just so you know, when we're considering somebody for an elder in this church, we ask for a list of people they work with and neighbors, and we'll call them. And we'll say, what is... What's your view of this person? Why? Because it says here that they have to be thought of well by outsiders. These are the requirements of an elder. These are the requirements of this pastor and the next pastor, right there. That's why we reference them in the job description. The list of qualifications, as you can see, are personal, are public, and include their home life. You say, why would we do that? Because that's what God's Word says. We go back to God's Word. Now the elders are governing overseers with a diversity of functions. They're all called to have to be able to teach. That's one of the requirements. You have to be able to teach. Yet it also talks about the fact that they have to be able to correct error, which is part of teaching, understanding the word. They have to be able to uh, recognize false doctrine. But then there's a group, it seems, that it it talks about that's that's okay. But then there's these guys that are going to be teaching and preaching. Because it says in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's elders that are specifically, we're all called to have the gift of teaching. We have to be able to teach. Some of us will do that better than others. It's just the way it is. But then there's some that God calls to preaching and teaching. That's what he's called me to do. And he's the one who equips me. And he says, now... Okay, remember, he's an elder, but he's called in this office, particularly to preach and to teach. So although we as brothers and sisters are all equal, including all the elders, God calls some to be leaders of the church. 
they have to meet these certain requirements. And then among that group of people, the elders, there are some who are primarily to be preaching and teaching. They're not better than the other elders. They're not exalted above the other elders. They're just elders with that calling and that gifting by God. That's kind of the foundation that's laid out. And when we look at these qualifications, these are the foundational qualifications for the pastor that we're looking for at La Crescent Free to come in next. This is someone that we're looking for that God has prepared in this way. Not man. The way that God has prepared a person. And the process, uh, so you know, uh, as I was, let me tell you a little bit of my background with what has happened and how I came to this particular point of this message is I was in 1 Timothy and I really didn't know where I was going to go. And we had the privilege of talking to some brothers who had some questions. And I realized that that um, there are some people that are struggling in our body with just Dan leaving, okay? Um, you know, there's a stability there uh, that I've been here 20 years. And I know Dan. I trust Dan. And my heart broke because I thought, there's probably more than just those few. And I think we can put too much emphasis on a man. And I thought, but this is God's work. This is God who does this, who calls. It is God who is the one who provides for his body. And it's not us. And so what I did was I said, God, I want to communicate to the body that they can hope in you. That's my heart here. I don't have an agenda. Just This is what God's word says. And this is what I want you guys to see. That God is the one. So that you would know, okay, here's the process and we're going to go through process. You have to. But it's God who is going to do the work, not us. And so that's where my heart comes from. You know, I, I've been praying this week. God, you noticed when I prayed, God put a guard over my mouth. I just want what God's Word says. I, I don't have an agenda other than this is what it says, and I want you to put your hope in God. Not in Dan, not in the process, not in anything else. In God. And our process, just so you know, goes like this. People will apply for the position. Then there's a search committee. The search committee is put together. The search committee goes through those applications. The first one is just a general questionnaire. You can kind of, just so you know, you can kind of eliminate some people right away because, you know, some are living overseas and they, you know, we're not going to hire somebody from overseas, you know, that can't barely type, they type broken English. There are some that don't line up with us theologically. You can see that right away. I mean, you just see that. And so then what the search committee does is they take it and they send out another questionnaire. And this one is much more detailed, asking specific questions about beliefs and theology and things like that. And then they bring it down some more, down to about five or, five or seven, or I don't know what it would, might be. 
And then they get to interview those people. On the phone probably, or Skype now. I mean, prior to uh, COVID, we never did that, right? But then they will interview them. And the whole time, this church and the elders and the search committee are praying. And they'll get down to that one person. The search committee will. That one person that they feel the Holy Spirit is leading them to call to be the pastor of this church. And when it gets down to that, they'll submit that person to the elders. So the elders aren't the ones that present it. And then the elders grill that individual. And we do our background check. We do our research. And then if we feel that, yep, then we will present that individual to this congregation. And that individual will come here. And for probably at least a week, they will preach one, maybe two Sunday morning sermons. They will meet with anybody that wants to meet with them. They'll probably go to small groups and the men's ministry and the women's ministry. This is them being examined by the body. And then what will happen is after that week of candidating, there will be a date set where we'll come and vote. And that person will have to get at least 75% of all the members to say, yep, And they will vote not only on the pastor, but also on the package that the elders will have to offer them. So you will have a say in all of that. And that's the process. That's the process that this church has set up. The process that God will work through and the process that God will bring his man forward to this body. Because he loves you and he cares for you. And he's going to be faithful to do that. But that's the process because I think sometimes, so many times, we don't know what it is. And you see how throughout this whole process, there's a refining, there's, a, there's an examination by different groups of people and, and until that finally that person comes forward. And even then, at the last minute, if that person is not the one, then God will just show us through the vote. That's what we believe because God is sovereign. This is His church. And he's going to provide. You see, the the elder and pastor call and giftedness, one of the things you see in this, the elder and the pastor, the pastor, their call to be in the ministry and their giftedness must be accompanied by godliness must be accompanied by character that's the bottom line it's got to be about character you see outward behavior reveals inner character if that person doesn't have a core of meeting these qualifications then what they speak and what they do is going to reveal that down the road You see, who they are is so important. Who they are inside. The man that God has made them through time, through testing. The outward behavior reveals the inward character. That's why what we are speaks more loudly than what we say. What we are speaks more loudly than what we say. 
And that's why it is critical that in this entire process, our emphasis is on the character of the man. God will take care of the rest. Hey, I know that if anything happens through the preaching of God's word in this church, it is not because of Dan. Okay, if you have some revelation and opening up of God's, of God's word, I know it's not me. It's the Spirit of God. Like I, like I, I really believe this. I'm just a glove. That's all I am. It's the hand of God. That's going to be true of the next guy too. But God is working those things in them. And the character is what needs to be the focus. And the rest will come forward by the grace of God. That's why if you notice something in this book, it says it two, maybe three times. Pastor Paul charged Pastor Timothy to live beyond reproach. To be an example is what he said. Take a look at God's word. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was a young guy. 20s, 30s, called to be the head of the church in Ephesus. If you read between the lines in some of it, Timothy was a pretty timid guy. That's, that's who Timothy was. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, the, this, uh, this charge-the-hill type guy. He was very timid. He says, listen, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And you'll see something when God calls the next pastor He'll come up here and the elders will gather around and lay hands on him and pray for him. Why do we do that? Just to be kind of spooky? <laughs> no, because we just kind of look at Scripture and say, well, that's kind of what they did it sounds like, so let's do it. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He told Timothy to do the same thing. And you see, this is where you and I come in. Because if you look at this book, you go, this is a lot of stuff on how to run a church. Correct. So what about you? Where's the application for the average Joe who does not feel called to be an elder? Where, where are you in this book? Well, if Timothy's called to set an example, then that assumes what? That people are following that example. That's what it assumes. He's saying, you be the example, Pastor Tim. You be the example because people are going to follow after you. You set the example. So the challenge here 
is that the average person in this body of Christ should look at those qualifications of the elders and pursue those things in your own life. Because what? We're supposed to be examples of that. Those are things that we should all pursue in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when God says, this is what an elder is called to be, spiritually mature, etc., etc., he's saying, you know what? The average person sitting in the, in the chairs here at La Crescent Free, that's what you're supposed to be pursuing. They're setting an example. But take a look. That's what you should be pursuing. All those things that God is calling Timothy to, through Paul, he's calling each one of us as individuals to be above reproach, to have a good reputation in the community, to not be a drunkard, to not be angry. All those things that are listed are things that God desires in our lives, in all of our lives. And he will work them by his spirit. And the elders are called to be an example of that. So when you look for yourself in this book and you say, this is a lot of churchy stuff. It is. You're right. It's also a lot of people stuff in there. You want to know how to handle uh, widows? Want to know how to react to people? elders to people who are rich or people who desire wealth or all those things. Go to those sections. It's not just for how the church should handle it. It's how you should handle it. Take a look at those things. That's where we are, each one of us in this body, in the book of 1 Timothy, directed towards pastors, but the intent was that it would go to all the churches and it wouldn't be just for pastors but for Jesus' body that each one of us would pursue those things. Yet some would be called to be elders. And in this book, he calls Timothy and he calls every believer to fight the good fight of faith. Press on. Keep grabbing hold. Take a look. It says it right there, 1 Timothy 6, 11, 12, 11 through 12. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, Flee these things. You can read about what that says prior. There's your instruction. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue those things. Fighting the good fight of the faith. That's the call for each one of us in this body. Not just the elders. And the Holy Spirit will empower that. That's why he dwells within us, because we can't in our own strength do this. And so he points us to pursue these things. These are the things that are God-honoring. And he will make us like that. The fruit of the Spirit is something that God does in us and through us. In conclusion... Listen, Jesus is head of his body. He's the head of his body around the world, and he is the head of his body here at La Crescent Free. He purchased us with his blood. I didn't. None of the elders did. Jesus did. 
It's his church. And he's the one who empowers the pursuit of the elder and deacon qualifications in each one of us. He's the one who does that. And I have stated numerous times in this sermon that I have full confidence in God. That God will take care of us as a body. That God will provide that next pastor for this body. I have full confidence that the Sovereign Lord will provide for His church here at La Crescent Free. His choice. Not ours. His choice. For our next senior pastor. And you know why? Because of who he is. Because of who he is. Not because we deserve anything. But because of who he is. And so the best way that I can conclude it is taking a look at First Timothy. Saying, well, what does it proclaim who our God is? And I ask you, before we read it, see if you can put your hope in this type of a God to take care of this church again, just as he did 20 years ago. Take a look. Here's what it says. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Look at, listen to this. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him the honor and eternal dominion. I can trust that God. I can trust Him. Regardless of all the weaknesses and failings of people and processes, I can trust Him. And I will do that. And I hope you will too. He loves you. He's going to take care of us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I stand in awe of You. Thank You for your sovereignty in bringing us to this place at this time in our church history. God, I thank you that you are greater. You are greater than the weakness of human beings, the frailty of processes. God, that you are faithful. You always have been and you always will be. And I pray now, God, if there are those who are just struggling uh, with, with uh, the transition of me moving out and then next pastor moving in, God, would you quiet their hearts with your spirit? Would you help them to put their hope in you, God, and know that you are, you are faithful? God, I thank you for this next person that you are calling to this place, to this pulpit that they will be called and anointed by you. They will be filled with your spirit. They will be a man that you have prepared to feed your sheep and to care for them. And I pray now, God, that you would give us great faith in you.